Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Today's podcast is more of a deep dive into the first step of my 14 Steps to a Simple Launch podcast, which came out a couple of weeks ago, and I've had loads of helpful questions from people since. So a lot of people wanted me to go into a little bit more depth about how to find your people. So the first thing I need to say is that in order to find the people that you want to serve online or in person, you first have to really get to know your ideal client avatars. So I've recorded a whole podcast episode on that subject already. I'll put the link in the show notes. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, I really urge you to go back and listen to it so that you can get a really secure idea of who the people you're trying to reach are, because that is the best way to know where to look for them in the online world or in the real world. So once you know that, I want to share with you a few online and in-person strategies that you can use to have those really helpful feedback conversations with the people that you're trying to help, because that really is the only way to make sure that you develop a product or a service that's going to genuinely meet their needs, genuinely help them, and also something that they're going to want and that they're going to be willing to pay you for one way or another. So the first thing that I would urge you to consider is, are these people that you're looking for people that you're already working with in some capacity or that you have worked with in the past? Often we can feel really vulnerable about asking past clients or current clients to help us develop a new product or service. We can be really worried about what they're going to think. But when you look a bit deeper, if you're worried about what they're going to think, that probably means that whatever you're developing is something that you don't actually think they would want or need. So given that when we're doing this in private practice, or if you're doing it as a social enterprise, that you're going to market to these people directly, you need them to want or need it. If you're having real trouble talking about your idea with them, it probably indicates that there's a problem with the mission, that maybe you're not quite in alignment with where they're at, which makes these kind of conversations even more important. So if you do notice that kind of vulnerability, I don't really want to share this idea with people that I've worked with who fit my ICA perfectly, it already is a bit of a red flag that the idea might not be perfect. So it's a great idea in that case to set up as many of these conversations as you can, power through that discomfort because it's really essential. So how can you do this? Now in the times of coronavirus, um, we're not completely locked down anymore, but we still can't meet with people for long periods of time face to face. Um, So Zoom call, Zoom is your friend. Um, If you can arrange to meet them um, just for 15 minutes, get really clear on the questions that you need the answer to before you go in. And the kind of things that you want to know are, you know, what language they use around their struggles. You want to find out what problems they're trying to solve at the moment and crucially how they talk about those problems. So this is really about listening. It's not about you talking about ideas that you've got 
or saying, you know, this is my new business and this is what I'm planning. Because if you do that, people will just tell you what they think you want to hear, especially people that probably like you. Um, So stay away from talking about your plans in these conversations. Talk instead about what problems they have and what they already are doing to try and solve those problems. Um, So if you can get somebody on a Zoom call and just literally say, look, I would like to help people like you in a more effective way. Um, And if you could spare just 15 minutes of your time, it's going to make it much more likely that I can give people what they need. You'll be really surprised how many people jump at the opportunity to do that. As some of you know, um, I'm applying for grant funding at the moment to try and provide um, some perinatal services uh, in my local area. And I created a survey. Um, which is another way that you can do this if you can't hop on a Zoom call with all of these people because you want to talk to lots and lots of people. Um, one thing you can do to kind of broaden your reach is create a survey. Um, and I've got a mailing list of about um, 2,000 families uh, that I've either worked with or that um, have read my blog posts and things like that in the past. But I haven't contacted them for quite a while. I've been quite rubbish at the email marketing for that side of things um, for a long time. So I wasn't really expecting a very good response rate. But actually, I framed it like this. I just said, look, I it's very short. It will take four minutes of your time. And I'm trying to help vulnerable families. And I want to know what's going to help them the best. And 25 people had responded within about 10 minutes of me sending the survey. So I think if you're open and vulnerable and just say, I'm not sure how to help people in the best way possible, I really want to know, then you'll be surprised how many people out of the goodness of their heart and wanting to pass on maybe some of the help that they've had from you to people that might not have had that help and assistance yet will will find it in their hearts to respond to you. So Zoom calls is one way of doing it. A survey is another way of doing it. I would say a combination of both if you can manage it. Obviously, if you're listening to this and we're free to meet for coffee, that's a really great way of doing it because then you can offer coffee and cake to people. That's something I did when I first started launching my hypnobirthing workshops. I asked a few pregnant people I knew whether they would meet me for coffee. I bought them a cake. And that made it a bit easier for me to then just ask them these questions about their struggles and feel like they were getting something out of it right from the get-go. So you can do it that way. Um, Another really important thing, um, if you're contacting people that you've worked with in the past, is to get feedback about the work that you've done with them. So what was the most effective ingredient in their view? It may be that you think differently about what was the most effective part of your therapy, and that's fine. But if you can know what they found to be the take home, the most effective thing, then you can make sure that you bake that into whatever you're offering and also incorporate it into your marketing. So something that people often say to me is that the thing they found most effective about therapy with me was the ability to use me as a sounding board to just talk and reframe things in their own minds. Now, that's not necessarily what I would say is the most effective thing about the therapy that I do. Um, 
But in my marketing, I will try and incorporate that message that, you know, you'll get the freedom to think things through because that's something that people have often come back to me as the biggest takeaway from therapy. So it's about teasing out those messages. What was it that they found helpful and what words would they use to describe it? Because that is something that you want to put into your product development and into your messaging. Also along the way, if you ask for permission, you can get testimonials, which you can then use on your website. Um, Because even with a new product or service, you can't say, oh, this is a testimonial from this product or service. But you can say people that have worked with me have said these things before. Now, obviously, most of the time, um, if you're talking about people that you've worked with clinically, you're not going to want to have a a picture or put their name to that testimonial um, for confidentiality reasons. But that doesn't mean that you can't have a testimonial on there. As I know that recently in some groups that I've been in, there's been some discussion of whether we're allowed to use testimonials. The only guidance that I have found so far has been that you can use them, but you have to be very careful that you're not claiming um, to be able to create those results for the next person. Because obviously, we don't know that we can do that. There's so many factors involved in uh, somebody's mental health that it would be really not clinically okay to say, look, this person was really depressed and now they're not. So I can take away your depression. To be honest, I think if you're an ethical clinician, which I'm sure all of you listening to this are, you probably wouldn't fall foul of that anyway. Um, But I think making really clear that these are stories from clients that I have worked with in the past, and this is what they have um, wanted to share about our work together. I don't see why there would be an ethical problem with that. Clearly check with your um, governing bodies, but I haven't found anything that has made me feel like I can't put that stuff on my website. And I know that if I was somebody maybe considering taking an online course that was brand new and had just come out there, I would actually need that reassurance that you have got a history in helping people like me, even if it is in a slightly different way. So that's how I see it. So that would be the first place I would go. If you've already got a relationship with people who fit your ICA, get FaceTime with them, get detailed information with them, um, whether that's Zoom call, coffee, or a survey or a combination of all three, ideally. Now, if you don't have direct access to those people, so maybe you want to help a slightly different group, people that you haven't worked with directly, um, then I'd be looking for how you might be able to access those people to have your Zoom calls, your coffees, your surveys um, in a slightly different way. So it might be that there's some some people that you know through work or friends or colleagues or family or institutions that you work for who do have access to those people. And it might be about doing something for them for free so that they then will repay you by giving you access to some of those people. Um, I mean, that sounds very transactional, isn't it? But in practice, that can just work like, say I... Um, wanted to get in front of the parents of children who have ADHD because I've got a particular interest in ADHD but I've not really worked in that area before I'm still at the stage where I'm really trying to figure out what those parents are struggling with um, and it's a very new topic for me 
I might approach a psychiatrist that I've worked with before who happened to have a specialism in ADHD and say, you know, would it be possible for um, me to distribute this survey to some of the people that you work with in your private clinic? Now, they might say, um, I feel uncomfortable about doing that when I don't know what you're planning. So I could then offer to um, provide something like a resource for their parents on, you know, dealing with psychological impact of a new diagnosis in your family. Uh, I could offer a Zoom workshop or a handout. I'm literally just thinking off the top of my head, something I could offer to those clients um, so that then you build up a bit of trust so that that psychiatrist then feels more like they can trust you to... um, you know, either talk to their patients or disseminate a survey to their patients that is not going to be harmful. So sometimes if you don't have direct access to the people that you want to help, it can be about building a relationship with people that do, uh, building up a bit of know, like and trust with those people so that you can then partner up to get that information. Because chances are, if you want to know how to better serve those people, then somebody else does too and you could work together on the project. So it can be about forming an alliance with somebody that has better access to the people that you want to talk to. And it may be that they become your partner for the whole project, or it may be that they're just a partner for the fact-finding mission because they also get something out of that. But it is all about forming relationships, whether you can do that directly or whether you have to go one step back. So another option, if this is a totally new area of work for you, is to start using social media as a listening platform primarily. So... The obvious one that most people jump to is getting into Facebook groups, which are specifically for the ideal client avatars that you're trying to work with. So if you've done your homework and you know your ideal client avatar really well, then you probably know what kind of Facebook groups they're likely to be in. So for example, if I was looking to help parents with children with ADHD, just following on from that example that I've just used, then there are probably Facebook support groups specifically for those parents. Now, one problem we often come across as clinicians is that those groups are there for parents. And often one of the group rules is that you cannot join unless you are part of that target group. And if you're not, that can be really difficult. However, my experience has been if I contact the admin of that group and say, look, I don't want to come into your group and spam. I want to find out what people are struggling with in your group. Um, Could you spare me a little bit of your time to talk if you don't want me to be in your group? Or if you do want me to be in your group, is there something I can offer to the group to make sure that I'm providing value? I often make it really clear that at this stage, I have nothing that I'm trying to sell. I am just trying to find out how I can help people and what they're struggling with. And you will be really surprised how many admins will come back to you. And even if they won't let you in the group, they will have a conversation with you. And they know so much. They've been watching the conversations that are happening in this group. They can tell you the painful stuff that people are really struggling with, that they would really value an intervention 
um, aimed at. And then you have that relationship. So you can offer things like a Facebook Live class in the group that raises your profile. And eventually, not now, but eventually when you set up your own Facebook group and you're trying to get people into it, those people in that group will know you enough to want to come over and be in your specialist group for whatever problem you're trying to solve. So don't be afraid to reach out to the admins of like the perfect group where loads of your ICAs are, even if you can't join the group directly. Now, if you do get in there, if you're lucky enough to be part of a group where loads of your ICAs are talking, it's all about listening and having conversations. So don't go in there straight away, dropping links to blog posts and and that kind of thing. That can be a useful strategy eventually, but only when people are literally calling out and asking for something that you have an exact match for in your content library. Most of the time, you just want to be in there talking like a normal human being, offering a bit of insight when you can, raising your profile in the group so that people start to think of you as a really helpful person. You get to learn the language that they're talking you get to learn what topics are coming up over and over again that people struggle with and you get to tailor what you provide, what your business idea is going to be around those specific things that people are mentioning over and over again. And I guarantee if you do this, you'll probably find that the things people are talking about are not the same things that you thought at the beginning might be your idea for your project. That's certainly been my experience over and over again. I think, oh, people need help with X and it always turns out that they need help with Y. So it's really, really valuable to be listening at this point. Finally, on the social media front, I want to mention LinkedIn. So clearly, Twitter and Instagram are also useful places for finding your ICAs. But I don't have that much experience with Twitter and Instagram. You will probably see that I am trying to build my Instagram. Um, And if you want to follow me on that journey, I'm at Rosie Gilderthorpe. But it's not a platform that I feel like I've really mastered at this stage. Um, So I'm getting an Instagram expert, Helen Perry, to come and talk to us about Instagram. Um, But LinkedIn is one that I've been using to get to know you guys, actually. So if you are trying to target a professional group... So maybe you're trying to move into something like business consultancy or you want to provide training packages to a certain type of business. LinkedIn can be a fantastic resource because what you can do is you can search for people by job title and you can then pick people who are connected to you already in some way. So obviously you'll see, if you search by job title, you can filter it to your first degree connections. So those are people that you already know. But you can also filter it to second degree connections. And that is basically like friends of friends on LinkedIn. And what I would usually do, my strategy on LinkedIn, is to message people who have the job title that I am trying to reach out to, who are in my second degree connections. So we already have somebody in common. So it's not like a complete stranger contacting them out of the blue. And I'll just write a few lines about what I'm trying to do, what my mission is, and how they might be able to help me. So at this stage, I'd be saying things like, I really want to help um, parents of 
kids with ADHD, but I'm not sure how to reach them. I notice that you are an expert in this field and that you probably are talking to these parents every single day. Is there some way that you might be able to help me to learn more about them? And if they are in the spirit of collaboration, if they are genuinely interested in an invasion, in advancing their field and improving care for people in their field, they are likely to come back to you. Now, it doesn't have a 100% hit rate. I'm not going to lie. I probably send out, I don't know, upwards of 20 messages on LinkedIn a day, and I probably get responses from about half of those. But that's still quite a lot of people who I wouldn't otherwise have had access to who are willing to help me out with my projects. And sometimes that will directly lead on to work. A lot of the time it doesn't. A lot of the time this is not a strategy for literally getting people onto your online course. But it's a way of meeting people who might have really useful suggestions for you of how you can meet the right people to get onto your online course or into your business consultancy program whatever it is that you're trying to offer. So I think LinkedIn is a really useful resource in a completely different way because yes, you can post on LinkedIn just like you do the other social media platforms. And yes, that can be a really useful way of demonstrating to people what you do. And you can actually get opportunities falling into your lap through LinkedIn, that can happen. But where I have found it to really be very um special and different to other platforms is that people are more likely to respond to direct messages in LinkedIn than they are on any other platform. Um, That's been my experience and I hope that you will try it out either um, as a way of asking other experts in your field to help you um, access your ideal client avatars or to talk to your ideal client avatars directly. Also, when you're trying to find your people it's really important not to neglect traditional networking events. So by this, I mean the kind of events where you go along, everybody has tea and coffee and tries to make it sort of relaxed seeming. Um, But in fact, you're all there to try and pitch your businesses. Um, Often formally, there might be like two minutes at the beginning where everybody does an elevator pitch for what they do. And then you spend the rest of the time talking to people, trying to make useful business connections. These are the sorts of events which, whether they're online or in person, strike fear into my very heart um, because I'm a massive introvert. I don't enjoy this stuff particularly. However, I have found that I have made some really valuable friendships and business connections through networking events and often connections I never thought I would get from particular events. I've been to really corporate events and made connections which have helped me in my hypnobirthing business, for example. So I do think these events are really important. And I might do a separate podcast actually on a strategy that you can use when you go into a networking event to make sure that it is valuable for you because it is a drain on your time. So you want to make sure that it's going to get you where you want to go. But for now, one tip is be very open about what you're trying to find out and who you want to talk to. So just state it, state what your mission is, who your ICA is, and what you need to know. So if what you need to know is what their day-to-day problems are, 
just say, you know, I am here because I'm trying to find out more about this particular type of person. I want to know what they're struggling with and I want to get in front of those people. And I, you know, wondered if anybody here might be able to help me find out more information about those people. It might be that there is somebody in that room that can help you in some way, you know, maybe directly, maybe they are somebody who has struggled with that issue in the past and they'd be willing to talk to you. You'd be surprised how often that happens. But it might be that they are a social media expert and they could help you get in front of those people on social media. It might be that there's somebody in that room who has a friend of a friend who is an expert in that field and they might be able to help you. Um, You will be so surprised what can come out of a networking event because that FaceTime with you, it builds immediate no like, and trust, especially as, and I know you all are, um, if you're a warm person, a compassionate person, um, a really enthusiastic person who is desperate to help people um, in the mental health space, in mental well-being, people will likely want to jump on board with you. It's an energy that we often bring to these things that can be really different, especially if it is quite a corporate event. That passion that you have, that I know you have if you're listening to this podcast, that will be really refreshing at a very corporate networking event. People will love it. So um, bring that, bring yourself to it, and you'll be amazed how much people want to talk to you and they want to help you. So to finish up, I think it's really important to reiterate that it is only when you've done all of these strategies and you've really gotten to know your ICA, done some really high quality listening, gotten to know the problems they're trying to solve and how they talk about them. Only then can you move on to point three on the launch in 14 um, simple steps checklist and offer them something like membership of your own Facebook group, a podcast, a blog or a downloadable. So if you haven't got your hands on your 14 steps to a simple launch checklist yet, I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can head over and download that so you can check where you are on the checklist and make sure that you haven't jumped ahead and missed a vital step in your preparation before you put out your amazing online course or other resource into the world. It's really important to be methodical and make sure that you really know your ideal clients extremely well. And I hope that this podcast has been a helpful introduction to how you can get in front of them build that know, like, and trust and start to really understand the problems that they're facing. As ever, I'd love your feedback. So get in touch with me either in the Do More Than Therapy Facebook group or over on Instagram, which I am trying to grow, where I am at Rosie Gilderthorpe. Planning on launching something new? Hoping to reach more people and build a business that lets you live your values while avoiding burnout? Then you need to download my cheat sheet, 14 Steps to a Simple Launch. It's a foolproof process to make sure you develop your project with the people you want to help and then get it in front of as many of them as possible. It's totally free and you can find it at psychologist.drosie.co.uk. I'll put the link in the show notes.